0: Uh, let's go ahead and get started and uh, jump in. Again, this is a review of lesson three, and we are going to be going through Genesis chapter two, verses four through the end of Genesis chapter three. And so let's just go ahead and do it, get into it. Now, uh, verse four this is the account. And by now, hopefully, you know that word in Hebrew. Did anyone know it off the top of head? Toledote. Good job. This is the Toledote of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And we see the Toledote repeated phrase throughout. Genesis. So as we continue on with our study, I hope you'll be excited to say, Hey, I know that word again. And here's another Toledote. You're going to get a couple of them actually in lesson four coming up. And I hope you'll be excited to see those, but they always give some kind of an account. This particular Toledote stands apart from all the rest because we don't get a genealogy, a list of names coming up. Uh, We get this. retelling of the recreation account and uh, because there's it's a retelling of the creation account critics of the bible uh, have said that this discounts Moses as the author or uh, this this puts Genesis in a bad light in terms of writing and why was it written like that and didn't we just cover that in chapter one why are we getting into the heavens and the earth again and of course savvy readers and studiers of the word like you will look at it and go, actually, no, this is really cool because we got the big picture on the first chapter and now we're zooming in. And that's exactly right. We're zooming in. So chapter uh, one was six six days of creation and many rests. And then chapter two basically is One day, it's the sixth day and it's zooming in. And so verse five says, and we start moving down into the ground really. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. These particular Hebrew words refer specifically to uh, the types of plants that would grow, that you would use to feed your family with. So this isn't saying that there is literally no shrub at all, because we already know from the days of creation, God did create all these plants. These are specific to the types of plants that would have been necessary for man to cultivate, cultivated type of shrubs and plants that had sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. And we all know that that gets resolved in a little bit. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Now pause right there. uh, Highlight that. And it's candy that it's uh, verse 6 because in chapter 6, you're going to get The story of the beginning of the flood. So, verse six right here streams come up from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground, which helps us to understand why on earth, no pun intended, we could have a flood to the size and capacity that we did because the Lord had not sent rain, but and there was, and streams came up from the earth and watered. Now, that is not how the system works today. Water doesn't come up from the earth today. And uh, of course, as um, Sandy and I were talking earlier. It's because we're covered in concrete. You would have a hard time doing that, right? So, uh, you know, streams don't come up and water the earth all over the earth like it did. And so something shifted. So make a note of that. When you get to lesson four, you will see the big shift and what happens. And it'll help you to understand exactly why that all happened. Verse seven. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. So right here, I want you to also notice, we've said it already uh, a few times in this chapter, Lord God in verse four, again, Lord God in verse five, and again, Lord God in verse seven. If you haven't already started highlighting that in your Bible, do that. And also I wanna encourage you again to get the Names of God Bible or at least use the Names of God Bible on um Bible Gateway. Uh, it's a great resource because it'll actually say instead of Lord God, it'll say Yahweh Elohim. So Lord is Yahweh and God is Elohim. And it'll help you to see a shift when you come in and you read passages. And interestingly enough, the shift in the names of God also is a reason why some critics of uh secular critics of the bible say moses couldn't have written because he was doing elohim 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 in the very first chapter and here we have all of a sudden lord god but smart readers like you know well that's just the covenant name of god of course he's going to talk about that because god's up close and personal with creation elohim is the big almighty creator god right and Lord God is the covenant name of God, the name that God gave Israel at Sinai. And when was Moses even writing and communicating Genesis? At Sinai. He wasn't at creation. He's writing the Toledot, the accounts that were given to him, either passed down in oral tradition or even in written tradition. The Toledot of Adam likely was written up in some way or uh, expressed orally by Adam himself uh, and passed along. The total of Noah, the told out of Terah, all of these accounts are passed along and ended up with Moses. And Moses is the one that brings it together. And wasn't Moses the perfect choice of a person to be able to bring all of that together? Why? Well, because Moses wasn't just an ignorant slave Hebrew, was he? Moses had a unique advantage. He was sent off, uh, and to be spared, uh, another side note on that story, if we ever study Exodus, we'll get into this more. Uh, but that's an example of someone defying the government. <laughs> by the way, Moses' mom defies the government to protect your child. Please go thou and do likewise. Defy the yeah. government to protect your children, even to this day. And uh, so Moses' mom does that. He ends up, of course, in a little miniature ark, by the way, which has a lot of parallels into our scripture. And then he's not raised as a Hebrew slave, but he's raised as a Prince of Egypt, watch the uh, cartoon. How many of you have seen the movie Prince of Egypt? It's a great one, but I think DreamWorks did it. Actually, it's really good. So I encourage you to watch that. Uh, watch that. So Moses is perfectly equipped to have written down all of these Toledo, these accounts, because he's educated. He can write. He can read. He's got a, a, an elevated understanding. In addition to that this is why we sense what I mentioned in our last lesson, a polemic style in the opening of... Um, of genesis uh, polemic is when he's put arguing against a point and the point was all of these other gods that they would have been familiar with because of living in egypt right so moses perfect guy he writes all this stuff down and he's specifically using lord god lord god lord god as he shifts into this chapter because he's talking about the personal covenant god the god that he met Right? Think about Moses' story if you're familiar with it. Moses has to take off his sandals. He's standing on holy ground. He's in front of the brooding bush. Who is he standing in front of? The Lord God. Almighty I am that I am. So we have Moses writing this down and we have him referring to not Elohim but Yahweh God, Lord God uh, formed the man, verse 7 uh, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Man became a living being. And you notice right here again I've asked you many times to continue to think along these lines did it have to be that way? And you can even adopt that facial expression. Pretend like you would a goatee, maybe a cigar, and you're sipping whiskey, and you're discussing it with C.S. Lewis in a pub somewhere. That's how I always pictured in my head, C.S. Lewis and I at a pub in England somewhere with a whiskey and a cigar. He can have the cigar. Anyway, uh, I digress. So uh, did he have to do it that way? The Lord God formed man out of fill-in-the-blank, twigs, Grass, quartz, diamonds. Wait, what do we get made out of? Dust. Dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That word, breathe into his nostrils, breath and breathe, that is the exact same word that we get uh, Holy Spirit from. It's the Ruach. Ruach, it, Hebrew is fascinating, ladies. The Greek language is extremely precise. There's exacting words, there's exacting tense and verb tense, and there's uh, vowel sounds and all this. Hebrew is interesting. You get one word and you get literally 15 or 20 meanings of one word. So you really have to know your context in order to understand it. Ruach is one of those words. Sometimes it refers to the Holy Spirit. It's going to show up later in Genesis chapter three. You're going to see Ruach again. I'll point it out to you. But Ruach is right here, breathe and breath. And it's not because he was imparted with the gift of the Holy Spirit, uh, like we think of as the New Testament, but it's the same hovering uh, uh, that we saw in Genesis chapter one. That Spirit of God hovered over the face of the earth, and so uh, we have that same exact word here. So we're made out of the dust and not diamonds, and we are breathed in with the breath of life, and man became a living being. Everything else um, got made separately. He spoke them into existence, and God brings us into existence um, from the dust of the earth and with his breath. Now the Lord, verse 8, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east. And isn't that a delightful image? I mean, you know the New Testament, that God is spirit, and we worship him in spirit and truth. Spirits don't have arms and legs. Spirits don't have mouths either. They don't stand and speak and hold things in their hands. So this is an anthropomorphizing. In other words, it's a way of making God helpful to us to see as a man, we anthropomorphize him in a sense. Um, the Lord God planted a garden. You he just, he's got his, you know, old McDonald's got his you know overalls on there's God and he's planting this garden and he's, he's just, he's personal with the earth. Like you are, you don't plant a garden, just like toss seeds out there. You get down there and you plan it out and you think about exactly where you want everything to be. And you're on your hands and knees and you're up to your elbows in dirt and you're you're getting your hands excited about what it's going to produce. And this is the image that you want to see of the Lord God planting a garden in the east. And you have to remember who's reading this and where are they located when they're reading it. They are in the middle of the desert there's no water around them. They've crossed through the Red Sea, of course, but they're just in the middle of this dry bones desert. And now Moses starts talking about this land of that's lush and green and streams are coming up. Because why? Because then later on, he's going to tell them, you've got a promised land coming, right? That land that's flowing with milk and honey. And all these images will be harkened back into their mind as they think about it. Verse 8, Oh, let me, I split verse eight, Uh, in in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees, listen, that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In other words, decorative trees that you would just decorate your yard with and hedges and things that you wouldn't chew on and eat. You're not going to eat a hedge. You're not going to eat even a beautiful sycamore tree or a pine tree or a sequoia. You don't just gnaw on those things. They don't produce anything for us. They're just beautiful and they they inspire awe and they make us think of God and they point to the heavens, right? These are the types of trees that are pleasing to the eye and he brings in and good for food. Here's your apple tree and your pomegranates and all the good trees that we think of um, that give us something yummy to eat, right? In the middle of the garden, where the tree of life. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil (laughs) da dum <laughs> right? And if you were orchestrating this, the music would start to rise and that curious, mysterious sound would happen in the background and you'd be listening again and going, what, 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 da-dum-dum? i getting great. You'll find out, verse 10. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. And again, we're getting back to these beautiful scenes of water and lush and living. And, and we don't know if at that time they were reading this, if all four of these rivers existed or if they were already gone. By now, we don't know. But needless to say, Moses describes river watering the garden flowed from Eden. There were there it separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. Gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. And this is fascinating. To this day, there are people obsessed with finding havila Why? Still the with- gold. There's gold in them are hills of Havila, right? And that's where they want to go and they want to find that. And so that has been a millennial long search to find where is Havala and it's never appeared to this day. I, here's my side note thought on that. I think when the Cherubim came in to guard, which we know happens later. A few of them showed up with shovels, grabbed up all the gold, (laughs) took it to heaven to pave the streets. (laughs) There you go. You can quote me on that later. All right. (laughs) There's the gold. So the gold of that land is good. And aromatic resin and onyx are also there. Okay. So aromatic resin is a very interesting thing to include in this opening description of everything that's available to them. Where is is that from? I'm reading out of NIV right now. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and I, I will be uh, reading through the NIV on, on this. How does the NET say it, by the way? I don't have it in front of me. Oh, okay. Oh, interesting. I've forgotten about that. So aromatic resin. So aromatic resin actually <laughs> refers to uh, any any resin that will come out of the inside of a tree, sap from a tree, right? Um, and so that's going to be frankincense and myrrh. Does that hearken to anyone to any other passage in the scripture? Does that let scripture interpret scripture? aromatic resin that would that would be a category right and uh, that would harken uh, also to the new testament uh, frankincense and myrrh um, anything that again is sap from a tree it's good and this land was filled with it and onyx are also there uh, i find it I, I just find that fascinating that god took the time to create things that we can enjoy like that of course we diffuse it and we rub it all over ourselves and we have all our wonderful essential oils to this day as a result of that but uh, here it is right here in the beginning and dawn of time Verse 13, the name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. So, of course, we have to this day the Tigris in the Euphrates in what's known as the Fertile Crescent in the Middle East. And uh, But we don't know where the Pishon or the Gihon are located. And, again, critics of the Bible will say, well, t- that's just make believe. It's myth and the imaginary things like lapis lazuli and resin and whatnot that's you know showing up there. Come on, and um, uh, faithful readers will say, I, I think there's a reason why those other two rivers are not able to be found today. And I believe Genesis six will start to begin to tell the tale of why we can't find those rivers as the landforms clearly do change after that point. Verse fifteen: The Lord God took the man put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for us. So we have God giving man an assignment. Did he have to do that? Isn't God fully capable of pushing a button and getting it going? And just let the earth take care of itself. Certainly he could have done that. In fact, there's a whole theology of deism that says that's exactly what God did. He's the clock winder. He winds up the clock, sets it to go, hits the button, and we've been unwinding you know, into to this moment. But that is not the truth of what scripture says. God created and put man to work it and to care for it. And the Lord God commanded the man You are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. All right. So God gives man a job. He gives man a mission. And he also gives man parameters. And uh, this is the the question that I had to answer here. Uh, My house, my rules. This is God's rules. And just like there are physical laws that govern our universe, the law of gravity, if I pick up this mouse here and just drop it, It's going to drop because of gravity. I can't will it to not drop. I can't wish it. I could love with all my might and hope and wish that I can have the gift of flight and climb up to the top of this building and and pray. And and even in faith, I will leap off and then gravity will say, well, I'll, I'll get my way in the end on that one, right? So there's laws that govern our physical universe. There's laws that govern our spiritual universe. And God set them into motion at the dawn of time. And he does it right here. Here's what you get to have. This is the physical world. Take care of it, work it, subdue it. We already know that from Genesis 1. But, and a command. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do, right? And so from the dawn of time, we've got God setting up. This is how it's going to work. This is how, this is the perfect scenario, the perfect opportunity for you to live perfectly in my perfect world. And this is how it looks in that perfect world. This is what it's going to be like. You're going to eat this. You're going to take care of this. You're going to not eat this. And you're going to not do that. And okay, I got it, right? That's how it should have been. So we get to verse 18. And it should feel abrupt to you at this moment. Verse 18. Because up until this point, every single evaluation that God has made in every single thing that he has done has been good, good, good. It is good. It is good. It is good. And we get to verse 18. And you should go, wait. Oh, what's not good, all right? And perhaps you and I would sit there and go, well, mosquitoes, that would have been great to have that on the not good list. Thorns would have been nice, you know, little rose bushes, just leave those off or what, you know, all the different things that annoy us. But God says it is not good for man to be alone. And isn't it, isn't it perfect that he would think that? Why? Because God wasn't alone when he created. What did God say when he created? Let me make man in mine. What did he say? Let us make man in Hour. god's not alone he doesn't want us to be alone either and he realizes that we've got something has to shift and so he should he could have just again tapped the button and voila lady appears right i will make a helper suitable for him grab some more dust whip her together right Pop, there's your new lady friend Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. And we get this shift. You're like, wait, verse 18, I'm going to make a helper suitable. And then Moses shifts gears to verse 19. uh, All Wild animals, birds of the sky. And so he brings all of them to the man to see what he would name them. And we have in history the very first catwalk, Right you know, the models walking down, and the people taking the pictures and evaluating the new outfits and all that, and so you've got this new parade of all the animals coming before and and think of it, there's another parade that's going to happen, it's going to happen after Genesis chapter 6 as well, and Noah's going to be involved in that parade, where animals are heading into a different direction, this time the animals are parading in front of Adam, The next time the animals are going to be parading in front of Noah and into that ark, right, and you know that story, it's coming up soon, so the Lord God forms all these animals, he brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature. That was his name. And again, uh, uh, Adam gets a job, right? Adam gets to fulfill his calling and listen to the, the difference because the first job is him saying, work with your hands, be involved in the ground. And the next job is mind. You're working with your mind, right? He's giving him a mental job. This is categorizing. This I, I have found that people have this sensibility about Adam, especially when he blows it in a few minutes, uh, that Adam's just a knucklehead, right? And it, I think it feeds into our culture in, in these days where basically every sitcom dad is always just a dumb knucklehead, right? And so we kind of have this image of Adam, like, Jiminy, Christmas. You couldn't have hold, held on and told your lady friend not to eat the thing, and now we're all in sin, and what? And so we think of Adam as a dumb cluck about this, but if God wanted to he could have named all the all the animals paraded them by adam and dropped it into his brain that's what everything is called but god gives adam a job this is a smart intelligent person because this isn't just that's a zebra that's a draft this is categorizing groups this is a scientific nomenclature of every single taxonomy of every single creature that lives this wasn't didn't happen in an afternoon he didn't do this in a day this is time passing Right. And we have to have a sense of that. To name every single animal wouldn't have happened on a click. It would have taken time and thought. And I imagine Adam even engaging and seeing all the animals and maybe naming them uh, after their characteristics and, and what they do. The reason why I think that is because he does that exact same thing when he sees the lady later on. He's gonna name her after how he feels and what he sees. And you know that because it's going to come up in a minute, right? So I think he does the same thing when he sees uh, uh, sees the animals. And he does this. So the animals parade, and Adam, uh, the man gives names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, all the wild animals, name, 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 everything gets named. And I could just see him, and and maybe he went ahead and started with Aleph and ended, you know, a Tav and Hebrew alphabet and went through the alphabet. And he gets, you know, Aleph Beth Gimel Dal. The names Ardvark, and then G for Giraffe and then whatever the Hebrew word for zebra. Let's imagine it starts to the Z, uh, Zebra. And he uh, <laughs> gets to the zebra, the Z, and he's like, There's nothing else. That's all. These are all cute, but I got nothing. I got Mr. and Mrs. Zebra, Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe, Mr. and Mrs. Aardvark. Where's Mr. and Mrs. me? Like, there's nothing for me. And I, feel like, I don't feel like God has that sense of it. So, no suitable helper was found. No suitable what was found? Helper. No suitable helper was found. Why? Why is that the emphasis right there? Because Adam did this entire massive job all by himself. That's a lot of work. He's very tired and out of vowels. That's probably why Hebrew doesn't have any vowels in the original alphabet. Adam just got tired of it all. Verse 21, the Lord God caused the man, why? To fall asleep, why? He could have kept him awake. But I want you to notice something through the entire book of Genesis as we read important things happen to people when they're asleep. You've already read all of Genesis. You've already read the whole thing soup to nuts, I trust. If you haven't, please do that before we get back together again. So you won't sit there in guilt and writhing like, I didn't really do that in the first lesson. Multiple times in Genesis, you read of people falling asleep and meeting God, falling asleep and their life changing, falling asleep and God doing something. It happened to Abraham, it happened to Isaac, and it happened to Jacob. Think about it. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. It goes, it happens again throughout Genesis. And while he was sleeping, he took out one of the man's ribs and then he closed at the place with flesh. All right. So this is, again, is where critics will say, are you kidding me? Really? You ripped him open and we got the first surgery in the Bible and he's going to make a lady out of it. Come on. So at this point, you know, we should also be thinking in our mind, there is an aspect of this that is um, Moses, again, polemic, describing creation describing how God created man in opposition to how the Babylonian, Egyptian, and all the other existing myths describe it. If you remember from our previous lesson, they all came out of battle and war and the gods being annoyed and things going to H E double toothpicks and they want to fix it, right? It's all bad. Here again it's peaceful. It's God in charge and it's he's using the man in a beautiful way right? And so uh, I would say, in my opinion, this this passage does not literally mean that God literally physically uh, performed a surgery on, on Adam. And uh, whether he did or not, and this is it, it's just a descriptive way of helping us imagine it in opposition of the way the Babylonians and the Egyptians describe it, or he literally did it, number one, it's not a salvation issue. And number two, God could have done it like that. He could have literally opened him up. I mean, made him out of dust. Why couldn't he open him up and make him out of out of a rib? I lean more toward this is figurative at this particular moment, but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put my flag on that moment. Here we go. So don't don't fire me yet on that. Uh, He closed at the place with the flesh, but it is a stumbling block. I will just add that it is a stumbling block. So please don't push hard back on people who say, "Well, that Genesis says this, and that's just ridiculous." You got plenty other things. People need to accept the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the most important one, not this verse. Verse twenty-two. Then the Lord God made the woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. All right, and the man said, "Whoa." that is way better than that chimpanzee i saw earlier he says this is bone of my bones this is flesh of my flesh she shall be called whoa man which literally does mean like like he looked at her went whoa and he was excited and uh, she was taken out of the mat and he's he's just super jazzed about this because the animals weren't taken out of him and uh, this lady shows up, and she's hot, and he's digging it, and he's not hiding it at all, and the, the original Hebrew has that zing to it when you read the word. It's an exclamatory word of Adam just going, oh my god, she's mine. That's us. This is way better than a giraffe, right? So that's why a man leaves his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh, and again, this is a um, this is a question, an answer to a question that we don't hear. But again, we have to remember Moses and the people he's talking to and the kids and the grown-ups and perhaps the children saying, you know, why do mom and dad, you know, leave and then they unite? And he's answering the question right here, the unasked that we don't hear. And this is why. Man leaves his father and mother, and he is united to his wife. And again, so different than any of the myths that were circling around them. So they're hearing the story, and they're seeing the very strong detail and the love and the care and the intention that God gives uh, to his creatures and that they're not an afterthought. They're not an annoyance. They're not a nuisance. They are part of creation, and God cares about their feelings, and that's what Moses is trying to convey in this, and he does. Verse 25 and adds again probably because a kid asked why do we have to wear clothes because if you've ever raised a toddler or try to teach a kid how to be potty trained you know especially boys for whatever reason love to be naked and wandering around so maybe some little kid said why don't we even have to wear these togas right or whatever and adam and his wife were both naked and he felt no shame and so he gets into the you know explanation of, of that story later of exactly why we we have clothes on now but so Moses adds this Adam and his wife are both naked and they felt no shame and of course that's an extremely important detail for him to include at this moment because you know the rest of the story you know what's going to happen next they're not going to be naked and they are going to feel shame and so Moses puts it in here first so when that point happens uh we go oh that's right it didn't used to be like that Oh, I got it. All right. Here we go. The fall. Now the serpent. All right. So here we go. And the music build and the evil theme comes into play and uh, the violins and scary music starts and the serpent. Now, of course, letting scripture interpret scripture. And I really pushed it on you on this last lesson. Who was the serpent? How is he identified? And he is not identified by any other name. You should have gotten that answer. Correct. Except for the serpent. How many of you know who the serpent is by now? Good, he's Satan because we've read the Bible and we know the serpent is Satan. We don't know that if you're just reading this right here, right? Like scripture under the scripture. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animals. What does that presuppose about other wild animals? They are crafty. There is a craftiness about wild animals. He was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. So, God made animals that were crafty. This guy was just more crafty than all of them. And when we think of serpent, of course, you have an image in your mind, maybe a bit of a big snake. Uh, we, we, it's hard to get rid of that image because you were raised on it. In all, you know, all the final graphs you grew up with, and all the cartoons, of course, it was a snake. But we don't know. It was serpentine in its look. And obviously, we know because of the story later on that it had appendages. It had legs and arms or some kind coming out of it, right? He said to the woman, The first question, did God really say, did God really say? So we have this strategy now, and the title of my message today is The the Plan and the Plot. So here's the plan that's been unfolded for us all along, and now we begin the plot. And the plot is thickened. And the serpent thickens this plot and stirs in this big question, the question that still plagues us to this Day And it's the central question to every single issue. Every time you turn on the news, everything that you filter through your Christian worldview is going to come down to this question. Did God really say every woke Christian church that's out Christian air, air quotes, lowercase C, every woke Christian church, progressive church that's out there is all about this question, did God really say, and fill in the blank, with anything that your flesh would prefer? And then we go, did God really say on that preference that I have, that identity that I have? So here we go, the question, did God really say "You must not eat from any tree of the garden? He he is just right there off the bat making God look like the big meanie the big guy who's up in the sky withholding everything from you. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree of the garden. He's just like horrified by, me. come on lady, really. All right. And the woman said to the serpent, now I think this is hysterical. I, I honestly find this hysterical, this little moment. There's no gasping, there's no, what? There's a talking serpent? I know, right? There's no, like, where'd you come from? I've just been romping around with my, you know, with my hubby, and now I'm well, you don't look anything like him at all. The woman said to the serpent, what are you talking? No, nothing. She's just like, as if this is just normal behavior, like we're in Narnia, and animals are just talking, <laughs> right? We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. Is that true? Is she accurate right now? Is she I'm going to ask you that as we go through. Is this accurate right here? We may eat from the trees in the garden. Yes or no? Is that true? Yes. On it. Good job, Eve. Start, gold star. But God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Is that true? that's absolutely true good job next phrase and you must not touch it is that true No, it's not true God did not say that that we have a record now presupposes if you're going to eat something you're going to physically have to touch it but what we have here here is the very first example of legalism this is the very first example of adding adding to couching God's words it's obvious that you're going to have to touch something But she's already bought into that very first tone of the question that Satan asked. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree of the garden? Well, yeah, he did. He said that. You must not eat the tree in the middle of the garden, blah, 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 blah. And you must not touch it. I mean, God is kind of like, oh, you can't even touch it. So strict. Or you will die. Is that last phrase true? Or you will die. Yeah, that's absolutely true. That's That's actually what God said. All right. So we have Satan casting doubt. We have doubt. Verse four. You will not certainly die. Now, what do we have satan doing from doubt to complete flat-out denial complete denial you will not certainly die this is exactly what the world does it's exactly what i do it's exactly what you do did god really say i probably just, i'm not gonna die that's not gonna be that bad right we absolutely mitigate our own like i'm not it's not that bad we're gonna really die 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 like all lowercase, maybe not the big die you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, verse 5, for God knows. Pause right there. God knows. And he's withholding from you. That when you eat it, your eyes will be opened. Don't you want? Who wouldn't want opened eyes. Who wouldn't want that? God is withholding. And we do the exact same thing today. Did God really say? I don't know. Maybe he did not I don't know. And, um, uh, no. It couldn't be. God wouldn't. So what are we doing? We are second guessing the firm command of God and God's. We're, we're assigning motive to God. We're assigning motive. We're we're thinking in our mind. God do this. And then, hmm. I'm gonna have my eyes open. God didn't tell me about that. I want my eyes to be open. Who wouldn't want? I want to see more pretty things. These trees that are pleasing to the eye. Your eyes will be open, and you will be like God. <gasps> To be like, He doesn't want me to be like him. My goodness, well, this serpent's got it all. Like, he is really helping me understand things. And there we go. The first cult gets to begin. The very first cult starts. Because cults are all about replacing the reality of who God is with me. And Mormons to this day, and basically every other cult, say, you can be God. You can ascend. You will be like God. Literally every single cult jacks up. The fact that that's God, I'm not. And they go, no, 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 no. You just have to get one with the universe. You have to pray enough. Even Christians can do it. You're really made out of stardust, and you're just one with God. Trust me, I have heard Christians talk like this. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Last phrase, knowing good and evil. Is that true? Actually, it's true. It's true. They're no good and evil. Turns out they knew it by what God said. Don't do this, do that. That's what good and evils do, don't. Now they're going to know it from personal experience. Outside of that, it was just, yes, no, I'm over here. Now it's going to be inside and that's where the shame begins. We have that inside of us, right? Verse six, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for getting wisdom. Who told her that? That's not in there. Satan didn't say that. It's good for food, pleasing to the eye. That's the exact same phrase God used when he described, Moses used when he described the original trees that are in the garden, didn't he? He said, this is all these trees that are good for food, all these trees that are pleasing to the eye. Exactly, right? She says, hey, this is good for food and it's pleasing to the eye. Combo, two for one. I I want this tree. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. And this is just a rewording. He didn't literally say these words, but this is you being like God. Knowing good and evil, that's wisdom. Right? And she took some and she ate it. And she found her husband who was hiding out somewhere on the farm ranching and he was over off in the distant corner of this garden. And she also gave him to her husband after she had found him after a long day's journey looking for him. What does it say? She gave it to her husband who was where? With her. Okay, So we have a strong and silent type right here. Or perhaps the weak and silent type. Why didn't Adam step up? Why didn't he, no, hit the apple out of her hand? Yeah, we think of it as an apple. Pomegranates would never have been bitten into. It takes forever to peel them, and then you get a little seed that's very low payoff. All right. She gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Highlight that in your Bible. Who was with her, and he ate it. He was right there. Verse seven. Then. The eyes of both of them were opened and they got all that wisdom they were looking for they got all that knowledge of good and evil no what does that say first thing happen they realize they're naked like whoa i never noticed that before and so they pull, get fig leaves and they're just basically reaching for whatever's nearby maybe it was a fig maybe it, was, it looked like a fig on the tree who knows fig leaves together make coverings for themselves it's the first act of religion right here it's a you trying to make yourself look appropriate in in, in, in your environment. And that's religion. Right? And this is the first act of works and religion and effort on man to do it their way, to fix. And it's so pathetic. It's it's laughable, really. They sewed big these together. They didn't even have sewing machines. Come on. Right? They were just like, how are they? They were they pasting them on each other and maybe off in a corner by themselves because they realized this is not right. It shouldn't be like this, verse 8. Then the man and the wife heard. All right, I want you to make note of that phrase, heard. Because up until this moment, it's been c c c c c Saw, saw, saw. All the visual. Everything's been visual up to this moment. And now we have verse 8 here. If you go back through all of the, the wording of this previous passage, everything that Satan does, and what I've noticed and this has been confirmed by some studies I've been doing, But I've noticed is that the gateway to the eye seems to be the favorite place that Satan likes to get us. And the ears is where the Lord likes to get us, likes to love, you know, interact with us there. Worship, how God speaks to us so strongly in worship, right? And, And the eyes, in terms of things that we lust after, the things that we covet, those are all visual things that we can do. That's literally everything that Satan was getting Eve to do is to look at this and covet that and see that out there. And so we have this shift of feeling uh, in terms of our senses. And verse eight says, the man and his wife heard. They didn't see the the image of God. They heard the sound. God had a sound. God had, there was something about God that they recognized. And you know that in fact, just the other day, um Jeanette said oh I know I know who that is that's my daughter over there I can recognize just by the shape of how she's walking you you have this sense that you can you can see and recognize things even from a distance by the sound that they're making you can tell who's walking by the canter of their step the click click or the thud thud that's what Adam and Eve had that's how intimate they were with God Adam and wife man and wife heard the sound of Yahweh God as he was walking now I want you to go back from verse eight hold your finger there I want you to go back and I want you to see Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God throughout all of this passage, right? And then I want you to look at verse three. Now the serpent was more crafty, all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did, what what does it say? God. See, when Satan comes in, he immediately puts a distance between Adam and Eve and God because he refers to Elohim, the big God, the creator God. The, the law and order God of the universe. When God interacts, and we go back down to verse 8 now, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, the Yahweh God, the personal, covenant, interactive God. Satan pushes God away. Satan wants God as far away from you as possible, and he'll even just use the word to make that happen, to keep God away. God wants to be up close and personal. We're going to see him do that as he moves in on them. Heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking. Does the Lord God have feet? Does he have legs? No, the Bible says God is spirit. We worship him in spirit and truth. He's not unless this is what we call a Christophany. Appearance of Christ, Jesus. Walking, the Yahweh God. And perhaps the Lord God was Jesus interacting at this point because we know that God himself Either that or this is just Moses talking about the sense of it. I, I have, I'm i leaning to say, think this is Christ engaging with them as, as a human, right? As he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, there's that phrase I was going kind to of tell you about that it was happening. Uh, this is the ruach again, the cool of the day or the windy. The NET, I think Eve even says the word windy. Breezy, breezy, yeah. NET says breezy. And that's ruach again. It's the idea of the Holy Spirit. It's the idea of the breath. The windy, the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God, Yahweh God, from among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man. Where are you? You see, when God knows there's a distance between us, he wants us to be located. He he needs us to know where we are as well. In fact, if a friend calls you tonight and they're on the way to your house and they're a little bit lost, they give you a call. I'm like, hey, I can't find your place. The first question you're going to ask is, where are, where are you? Why? Because you can't get them to where they need to be unless you know where they're at. They can't get where they need to be unless they know where they're at. Uh, I was up at Arrowhead, uh, Big Bear, a few week, weeks ago, and, and my battery died in my car. And I get on with AAA, and the first thing they ask, are you safe? The second thing they ask is, where are you when you know your cross streets? So I'm anticipating that. I've dealt with AAA before a couple times. times. Uh, anticipating that, I made sure I knew my cross streets. Right before they you know, got around to, to ask them in a new neighborhood, I didn't really know. So I was ready. I'm at such and such in this place right here. And guess what God is doing. Where are you? Well, they're at, you know, Fig and Vine over here. <laughs> That's where they're at. And um, he answered, I, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid. Wow. Have they ever had a moment of fear? They Adam named the lion and the tigers and the bears, oh my. And not a minute of fear. Nothing would have made him afraid. Not a moment. All the crazy wild animals that he engaged with. Dinosaurs. Right? None of it. I was afraid. The first fear. Because I was naked. And the instinct, the natural response to fear is to hide. I was, I was alone in my home this last week. My husband was up uh, at our Columbia house on the lake kayaking, and I'm by myself, and I heard a strange thump in the middle of the night. That was the worst. We've got ADT alarm on the house, and I got my phone I armed the house, and I turned up the volume super loud, and then I started visualizing in my mind, if something did go down, where would I hide? What do I got? Where do I go? That's the first thing we think of, right? Where would I hide? exactly what Adam and Eve did. Here, I heard you. I was afraid. I, I was naked. So I hid. He said, again, a question you didn't need to know the answer to because you already knew the answer. Who told you you were naked? Well, think about that. The, Satan didn't tell them they were naked. Right? Have you eaten? Doesn't wait for the answer. Have you eaten from the tree I've commanded you not to eat from? It's the only thing that would have helped, would have made you realize you were naked because you did what you weren't supposed to do. You're hiding, and now you know. Verse 12 The man said, I did. I blew it. I take ownership for my troubles. <laughs> like we always do. Exactly. Like I we always, always do. That. I always do that. Man said, and the man, careful with this blaze, who? God, Oh yeah. Exactly. Oh. look how we just jumped right over the woman yes. to God. The woman you put here. You know what? And we're still doing that today. God, you made me this way. I wouldn't be like this if you didn't make me this way. I've been made this way, so I must be like that. The way you made me. Is how I have to engage with this world. That very first blame goes to God. And the woman is thrown under the bus along with it. The woman, you, remember, it was just you and me against the world, Lord, back in the day, couple of zebras, I was fine. You came up with this idea, not good for men to be alone. And you made this lady out of my rib. Blame's God. First thing. The woman you put here with me, right to the Lord, right to God Almighty. Wow. Woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. And what does he say? And I what? Ate it. I ate it. All right. Okay. Move on. Verse 13. The Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? I owe my sin. I blew it, Lord. (laughs) The woman said, the serpent deceived me she did not point to herself at all of course doesn't actually end up pointing to the husband she points to this other element and so the lord pounces right here because she says and i ate and i ate and i ate and it goes back to that verse uh when they were at the tree and they ate um and now they say i ate i ate and so the lord god said to the serpent because you have done this. And of course, if you've read your, the Bible, uh, you know from Job, and you're going to hear more about this in the next lesson. You know from Job, you know from Isaiah, you know from other verses. There's a lot of uh, heavenly battles and things that are going on that, that predate all of this. This is why we have Satan here in this moment. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this. And he goes into another first, the curse cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals you will crawl on your belly you will eat dust all the days of your life and that very moment we don't know if that serpent and his appendages just shriveled up and he fell down to the ground right there in front of adam and eve but here we have him cursing above all the livestock and now this he's literally on on his belly All the days of your life, you're going to eat this dust, and which is ironic because this is the dust that man was created from. And you're going to be eating that all the days of your life. Verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman. And this verse is not about women hating snakes. We don't have a natural revulsion to snakes because of the curse. That is not part, that is not at all what this means. And I have heard people teach that. I actually would maybe. Think if if the he didn't take the form of a serpent, but he was the form of a spider, I could see because I hate spiders, but I don't happen to hate snakes. I'm so glad he didn't do spiders because that would just be super, super creepy. Very Lord of the Ringsy. If <laughs> <laughs> you've seen that episode or that that one. Or Charlotte's well. Oh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I will put enmity between you and the woman, and this is the first prophecy. Between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and he will strike his head. Now listen. We have something that's in an interesting order here, because if you put it in time order, it wouldn't say he will crush your head and you will strike his heel mm-hmm. time order that would have been flipped. Mm-hmm. You will strike his heel because that does come first. Cause you know, who's the you that he's referring to you, Satan, You will strike his heel. Who's he, Jesus. You're going to strike his heel. He, who's that going to end up being, we know the end of the story. Mm-hmm. I didn't have you move in on this too much, but I want us to just focus on this. He Jesus will crush your head. This isn't in time order. Mm -hmm. In terms of the way the story lays out, you will strike his heel. And then he's going to end up at the final end of everything, crushing your head. I believe this is a nod to the reality that the victory is done. Mm -hmm. That God's the God of all time, that the victory is done. This is a settled issue. There's, There's nothing that's going to ever revoke this. God showed ready for this. Zero mercy to Satan. Zero. He will crush your head. Done. You're out. Now, the reason why there's time lapse between it is because of the next verse that happens next. Now, listen. Adam and Eve, where are they when all this is happening? Satan is being talked to by God. And whatever he was, the form that he was in, he's now no longer loud and proud on this tree or walking around with whatever he has as a serpentine-ish creature, but he's now deformed and on his belly eating dust, figuratively so. Adam and Eve are watching all of this and they know darn well what God said. You will die. If you touch that tree, you're going to die. And they see what God does to the serpent. And if I was Eve and I'm sitting there watching the serpent get completely demolished and weirded out right in front of my eyes, I'd be like, Like I'm gonna get turned into something that's crawling around, or I'm gonna get like God said we're gonna die. And they're watching all this happen. I cannot imagine they would have been shaking so hard their fig leaves would have been falling off by now, right? Verse 16. To the woman he said, "I will make your pains in childbearing very severe." At that moment, right there, Eve would have been thinking, "Wait, I'm not gonna die." He's talking about I'm gonna have a child. Ladies, listen, listen. This is mercy. Mm-hmm. This is grace. God, in his judgment, God, in his righteousness, could have killed them in that moment, or at the very least, deformed them into something like he did to the serpent. But he gives them a future and a hope right here. This phrase I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. It's not over for you, there's consequences. But it's not over. Your your painful labor, with painful labor, you will give birth to child? Children. Children. You are going to produce from your body more of you. That hasn't happened yet. Right? Your desire will be for your husband. And why this is part of the consequence and part of the natural action, I want you to notice there is no curse here. This is not God cursing Eve. There is no curse. Go back up to verse, um, he says in verse, cursed are you. He doesn't say cursed are you, Eve. There's no curse here. This is consequence. This is a natural consequence of her actions. He says, your desire will be for your husband. Why? Because your desire wasn't for me and it was supposed to be. You were supposed to desire me. And now you've desired your husband. Because you guys wanted to be all wise. So that's what's going to end up happening. You're going to have pain to produce because you've caused pain. You've broken the laws that I've laid out. And he will rule over you. In other words, he's going to receive that desire. And it's going to be a constant look like this. So here's Eve and Adam. And their, their relationship is they're going to be lateral like this to each other. It was never supposed to be like that. Their relationship was supposed to be vertical to the Lord like this. They were supposed to be aiming to him. Their desire was supposed to be to God. And they took it this direction right here. Right? And so now it's constantly this, uh, oh, oh, this fight over and over and over like this. That's what it looks like now. And it does, it does exactly look like that. Verse 17 to Adam. He said, maybe Adam's thinking, geez, she didn't get squished into a weird creature. Maybe he's going to do it to me. And now grace, mercy, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife. She had desire for you. You listened to that. You ate that fruit from that tree, which I commanded you. You were the one who heard my voice. I specifically spoke it to you first. You received the command from me. You must not eat from it. All right. Like the woman who produces from her own body, that's going to be painful toil. What you produce from the work of your hands, that's going to be painful toil. They both have consequences that relate to what they can produce and bring to the earth. Cursed is the ground because of you. Painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat. In other words, it's going to produce. You will eat. In other words, just like she's going to have children. You are going to produce. It will happen, but it's not going to be easy anymore. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and dust you will return. Dust, 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 dust. Mm-hmm. All the dust mentioned in this passage. Right? No, listen. Work isn't the curse. God was given, God gave Adam and Eve work to begin with. Work's a blessing. It makes us feel, it gives us purpose. We produce, we make. Work's not the curse. It was, it was, it was altered because of the curse of their uh, choices, their behavior, and uh, their denial of God and their desire for one another instead of their desire for God. And so God said, okay, your consequences is It is. It's going to be hard now. not going to be like it would have been. Verse 20, Adam named his wife Eve. Now listen, this is so important. Listen. They have just experienced a great loss. They have the consequences. They're breathing a fresh air because they didn't get death. They got mercy and grace. But Adam names his wife Eve. No, nothing else but Eve, because she would be the mother of all the living. Listen, we have death now, and he has hope in this verse, verse 20, because he could have named her something akin to death. He could have named her something akin to curse. He could have named her something akin to the brokenness that they were going to experience. But he named her is something that would remind them of hope. Because you would be the mother of all the Living, highlight that because it's going to be important when you read the next chapters because you're going to see a repeated phrase, and I'm going to tip you off to it, in chapter five. You are going to be the mother of all the living, and I want you to pay attention to what happens in chapter five. This is so significant. This is hope. This is Adam receiving grace and getting it, receiving mercy and getting it, owning the hope and going, okay, all right, I get it. It's a bummer, but I get it. Verse 21 The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. What did he do? Go to Joanne's Fabrics? Mm -hmm. Where did he get the skin? Listen, ladies, focus, listen. There's only one way that God can cover you, there's only one way that you can be saved. There was only one way that Adam and Eve could be covered. There was only one way that Adam and Eve could be saved. And that one way is for the innocent to die for the guilty. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened for them to be properly covered. An innocent had to die. He didn't grab fig leaves. No death had to happen. We have here the first sacrifice. And I imagine it was a gory bloody horrifying sight and a very visual object lesson god's first object lesson this is what sin causes the death of the innocent or the guilty and by that they are completely covered and again we have this second picture and promise of christ coming the first was in the the curse and satan getting it right the seed's gonna come and notice also, as you read, the seed is never named in any other passage in the Bible through the lineage of the woman. Every single other genealogy that is to come and all the ones you're going to be reading and all the rest you would normally skip over, but you've been well-trained and you've owned it. You're not going to skip over genealogies anymore. Every single one is from the man, the man to 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 the man. Every now and then a lady is thrown in. But God's promise genealogy, the total dote, is the seed of the woman. And that's where his focus is. And to this day, even the Jews who do not receive their Messiah, on every single Shabbat, they light the candles. Every Shabbat, that's every Friday evening to Saturday evening, every Shabbat to this day, they light the candles. And it's not the man who reads the prayer, it's the woman. Because it's the woman who brings the light into the world. And even the Jews who don't receive their Messiah as the true light of the world do this tradition to this very day. So the Lord God makes the skin for Adam and his wife. The Lord God, Yahweh God, said, The man has now become like one of me. Ah, good. The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. Well, God's just another big mean bully. Like me, let them just take the tree of life and eat, live forever because they would have been condemned to live forever in their sinful state. This is mercy and grace. You can't have that tree because you're going to live in this horrible state. I'm going to send you out. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he have been taken. After you drove the man out, he placed him on the east side of the Garden of Eden. Cherubim, that word right there is plural. I am is a plural ending in the Hebrew. So it's more than one. We don't know how many. More than One. But it's a bit overkill, if you think about it, because one angel is able to slaughter 850,000 Assyrians in battle. So this is overkill, or something big that needs to be protected here. And a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Wow. Amazing. Inspirational, powerful reminder of God's grace and God's mercy over and over and over again. And what does the world want to do? Constantly corrupt that image of God. He's either just like an old fool in white up in heaven with a big long beard or he's a big mean God who's ready to zap people. And you who know the truth and read the word of God and do your due diligence, understand it, you get it. And you weep for joy and gratitude and thankfulness of what God has done in light of what he could have done. And that's given us the grace and the mercy that we still enjoy to this day. Even though we're a little bit annoyed maybe with that belief. Because we can still be honest and say, I would have done it too, <laughs> right? All right.